Hey, Coach Arlen here. What do Walt Disney, Andrew Carnegie, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Edison, and FDR all have in common? They shared one secret that propelled them to achieve remarkable success. They each belonged to a mastermind group. If you've never experienced the power of a mastermind group, now is your opportunity. Join my business success mastermind group today. New cohorts are starting soon. To learn more, go to ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. The Courage to Lead, episode 228. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching. Business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having an exceptional week. I'm having a great week and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Mike McCallowitz. Mike McCallowitz is the entrepreneur behind three multi-million dollar companies and is the author of Fix This Next, Clockwork, Surge, The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur, The Pumpkin Plan, Get Different, and Profit First. His books have been translated into over 20 different languages. Mike is a former small business columnist for the Wall Street Journal and regularly travels the globe as an entrepreneurial advocate. Mike Michalowicz, welcome to the program. Harlan, it's a joy to be with you. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. I've been looking forward to this conversation. This is going to be a great conversation. So, um, and I really appreciate your books. I've got to tell Thank you. you. Not, Thank you. Yeah. Just because they're so approachable, they're so easy to, to get your mind wrapped around. You know what I mean? And, and they've helped a lot of, I use them with my clients. They've helped me, they've helped other people. So really appreciate that. That means it truly does mean the world to me. Thank you for saying that. No, you've done great stuff. And I read you uh, in your bio, you were awarded the New Jersey SBA's Young Entrepreneur yeah. of the Year when you were 26. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. So uh, I started my first business when I was 23. And um, I'll tell you a little something about awards you have to apply to get an award. So already 99% of the entrepreneurs who would qualify don't qualify because they don't apply. Uh-huh. So it's funny, like a lot of these awards, I'm a little bit jaded now. Like, oh, it's pretty easy to get. You just have to make the effort of applying. So I did, I did. And there was, there was competition. I wasn't the only one in it, but I think I was ultimately selected one out of maybe 50 people who applied. So it's, it's still a legit competition, but it's not one out of, the 2 million entrepreneurs here in New Jersey. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Well, if, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. Right, right, right. And I'm, I'm honored to receive it. It was great for the PR component and the, yeah. I guess, the credibility it brought about. So yeah, yes. always ask. That's the lesson. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Um, I want to come back and talk about um, all you've done, how you got to where you are now. What kind of kicked this off? For you to get you to where you are, who you work with, how you help them, all that stuff. But before yeah. we get started, I've got 10 questions that I asked. Yeah, yeah. These are questions, listeners know, these are the questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor Studio. Where yes. Steve Lipton asked these questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. I, you know, it's funny. I knew I recognized those, some of those questions. I'm like, oh, I've heard these questions asked before. I did not know you took it from that. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love these questions. All right. Question number one, Mike, what is your favorite word? My favorite word is defenestration because I knew what that word meant since I was like 12 years old and no one, very few people know what it means. And defenestration, in case you don't know what it means, it means to throw something or someone out of a window. That's a defenestration. That's crazy. Perfect. I'll try to use that as often as possible. Yeah. All right. What is your least favorite word? Um, probably words that have kind of like, they they sound 
bad or filthy, but are not intended that way. Like our house, I, I've been to some chicken. I said, oh, this is moist chicken. My wife's like, you can't use that word. I'm like, what, chicken? She goes, no, moist. So I don't like those That's words. That's come that, up a lot. Moist. I never, never realized, yeah. Yeah. Came up a lot. You can't use that word anymore. So, you, so she Add said it the right the word, it's, it's juicy or tender you can use right. for chicken. And juicy is even questionable now. In, in certain circumstances, yes. Okay. All right. Uh, question three, what turns you on? What turns me on is um, anytime uh, my wife's like, hey, let's go in the jacuzzi or the sauna. I love the relaxation and we have our best conversations there. So sauna time is a huge, saunas in particular are a huge turn on to me. I just love the relaxation. My mind goes elsewhere every time and nice. I sweat like crazy. Yeah, of course. All right. What turns you off? Um, some food items that, that in, in particular, anything with lots of cheese on it. So I have, um, uh, what they call it? Lactose intolerance. I couldn't think of it. I, I love pizza, but the second I hear cheese, it literally turns me off. So I don't like pizza and I don't like ice cream. I mean, I do love them, but mm -hmm. I don't like the after effects. So when I hear someone's having ice cream or pizza, I'm like, Oh, I'm out. I'm out. It's a big turnoff for me. All right. What sound or noise do you love? Um, I love a cracking, like when you roll your neck and it cracks, I don't know. Oh, I had one little pop there. Or when I go to the chiropractor and there's an adjustment and you hear a pop, I love that sound. And it, cause the, you know, there's a feeling associated with it. It's like, oh my God, I feel so much better. Even though I may not, it may be purely psychological. Yeah. All right. What sound or noise do you hate? Uh, I, uh, everyone says this, but it's true. It's, it's the hands on a chalkboard, any kind of that screeching. Um, or, or sustained ringing. I have tet, uh, tinnitus. And so uh, yep. I'm very sensitive to that type of sound, that kind of perpetual ringing sound. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Question seven. What is your favorite curse word? I think there's only one curse word left, in, in, meaning like one word that no one will say. It starts with a C, ends with, you know what? Yeah. And it's the only curse word. I will I never say it. And when my wife says it uh, about someone, it's once maybe every 10 years. So like that person is a C and I'm like, Oh, it just got real. You can say the F word. You can say the S word. You can say the A word. None of those things matter. Like they're not even swear words anymore, but the C word, whew, that's the only yeah. one left. That is a big one. Yeah. I had talking to a guy from Australia and that was his favorite curse word. And he just went off and it's like beep, 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 beep. Yes. Oh my gosh. The, you know, the British and Australians <laughs> will throw it around like it's nothing. And, and America hasn't been adopted to that level. No. But I was uh, talking to some British folks and they're like, see this, see that. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know. All right. Question eight. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Football, professional football. It's too late now. I'm, I'm, listen, I'm in my 50s. Forget it. I would get destroyed. I just, I so love consuming the sport. So I think the only chance I have left now is being a kicker and I stink at it. But uh, it's the only way I could do it without sustaining substantial injury. So it's just one day to run out of the field. Just one time. Exactly. Heartland. One time. Absolutely. Why not? Yeah. All right. What profession would you not like to do? Uh, golf. Because I find it boring. And so all my friends are golfers. Like, let's go golfing. I'm like, oh, five hours outside. Uh, I love being outside. But five hours just hitting a ball around, it drives me nuts, which is crazy. Because I'd love to spend five hours on a football field. So shame on yeah. me. All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Ah, uh, get emotional. Here's your dad. My dad passed away recently. So I would love to, if heaven exists, uh, and if, should that be where we can recongregate, uh, I'd love to uh, run over and hug my dad. 
Awesome. Very cool. All right, Mike, we're going to take a short break, come back, talk about how you got your start, talk about some of your amazing books, um, some of the other projects you have going on and stuff, and at some point transition into courage and leadership. Okay. So listeners, we'll talk about all that and more right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Mike McCallowitz. Mike, thanks again for taking time out to talk to us. I know how busy you are and stuff. This is fun. We're having fun already. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So growing up, did you know you wanted to be a best-selling author and business guru or did you have other plans? I had totally other plans. So when I was really young, I wanted to be a garbage man. Um, I thought that would be a cool career. Just, I think there's, I still am so impressed. I see these guys pick up these massive weights and, you know, the garbage and chuck them. So if anyone wants to give me a one day run through a 24 hour shift, I, I am in. Plus hanging off the back of a truck looks cool. Oh yeah. It really looks cool. But um, I, I didn't really have aspirations uh beyond a single job for a corporation because that's what my father did. That's what I expected for myself. I don't have or didn't have an entrepreneurial bone in my body. It was when I didn't get that one corporate job, which I expected, that I kind of was thrust into entrepreneurship. I didn't have an alternative. So I started my own business. And uh, I never, never aspired to be an author. I, I was a D student in English. It was my worst subject in school. Um, and ironically, I look back at some of the, I saved some of the stuff. I remember my teacher saying to me once, um, your writing style is, is, is not um, authoritative enough or not, that wasn't the word, uh, refined enough. It was very casual, almost like I was in a conversation. She goes, you, you need to bring more professionalism to it. So, you know, D, ironically, it's that casual style that's natural to me that yeah. has helped me so much at being an author. It resonates with people. Yeah, I guess you, so. You yeah, feel like does. you're sitting there having a conversation. You know? It does. It does. It, yeah, it really, it feels, you know, my goal when I write a book is the person reading it, first of all, I acknowledge it's the most intimate experience. I, someone is in their bed, in their underwear, you know, flipping through pages. You're, you're in bed with someone, theoretically, in this book, figuratively, I should say. And I think that that's the ultimate privilege. I have to respond by, uh, by allowing people to have connection, it, you know, within a couple of pages of reading a book, if you're not connected, that book's going oh, yeah. on the shelf of forever. So I think that style of, of, of intimacy, arm over the shoulder, but connectedness, personal personality all needs to come across on every single page. And that's what I hope to do. Absolutely. And I think you do. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. So you started three multi-million dollar companies before 35 for your yeah. 35th birthday. Yeah. That's incredible. And you did not come from an entrepreneurial family, right? No, no, my, no. My father had one job his whole life. Uh, my mother was a stay-at-home mom, and then she got a, a career uh, at a, at a, as an administrative person. And uh, no one, but my prior generations, my grandparents surely were, but we don't know much about their history. Mm-hmm. But uh, what happened one night, I, I did get a job out of college, but I was working at a computer store. Went out for drinks one night with another guy that worked there and with a few too many drinks in me. I'm like, I'm going to start my own business. I had no idea what I was doing. 
thank God for that night because the next day I started my own business. I had no clue what I was doing. It was trial by fire. And it, fear is a huge motivator. It helped me grow those businesses over time. And then confidence and courage came in. And uh, also, I was in the right place at the right time. Luck is a big factor, I think, that doesn't get enough accolades. But my, my first business was purchased by private equity. My second business was in computer crime investigation. It was acquired by a Fortune 500. And I was on to my third business uh, as an angel investor and doing some other stuff. Right place, right time uh, is a big factor. And taking opportunities by its, its tail. So, you know, I, I was always ready to, to grasp something. I was ready to go whenever the opportunities presented themselves. I think that was another factor for- Absolutely. And I, I would argue, that, yeah. I had somebody tell me one time, luck is the residue of design. Oh, that's, a, that's so well-framed. Yeah. Yeah. People think, people get, a, people get a hole in one in golf and they think, wow, what, how lucky. It's like, no, you chose to be here. You chose the club. You gave yeah. the distance, everything out the swing. It all, all those things came together. And for you, it was that way. You had the idea, you had the drive, you had the opportunity, you took the reins. So I don't think it was luck. I think everything- No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, but you're right, you're right. There was the right thing. But I'll tell you, so my second business, which was in computer crime investigation, we investigated the Enron trial. Now there was prosecution. We weren't prosecution, we were defense investigation. That case took my little startup business into stratospheric growth and recognition. And that's why I attribute to luck. I, I had no influence over Enron happening or not, sure. but I was in the right place at the right time. And then I grabbed that tiger tail and I held on hard and uh, went for the ride. I also recognize if it wasn't my business, another business would have gotten that and, and they would have benefited from that component of luck. So you're right. Enron could come by, but if I didn't have a forensics business and, and didn't know what I was doing and didn't grab onto that tiger tail, of course, nothing would happen. So there, there's a combination of things. Yeah. Absolutely. And like you said, you sold those businesses to the businesses, right? Um, yeah. Which, I mean, come big profits, but that also comes sometimes with consequences. And I know you told a story about how you flirted, I guess, with rock bottom. Yeah, well, yeah. because Yeah, but along with the, the success came big arrogance. Um, I So after I sold my second company, uh, I became a self-made millionaire in my early 30s. But or I should say, and my ego was like, "Woo, I'm hot dog. I'm amazing. I'm a genius. And I really felt this way. And Harlan, I, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but if you and I were walking down the street and we're talking about business, subconsciously, or maybe consciously to myself, I'm thinking I'm better than Harlan. I, I thought I was better than other people because of my success. And I think it was divine intervention. Uh, it was with my third company, even though it was generating revenue, I had a sudden collapse. I started, I was wasting all this money on businesses that weren't successful. And I started pouring more into it. And uh, well, the sudden collapse did take about two years, but for two years, I wiped out everything through mistakes in business, through arrogant spending. I wanted to have the fanciest cars. I wanted the biggest house. I wanted a place in Hawaii. We did all of that and it was all gone. And my accountant called me, I'll never forget the day, it was February 14th, which is Valentine's Day, 2008, and said, I think you should declare bankruptcy. And that was my wake up call. that I didn't really understand entrepreneurship, that I didn't, just really didn't understand how to manage money, and that um, I wasn't this hot genius of an entrepreneur. I was just like everybody else and had a lot to learn. Um, I remember, and I share it in my books, that I had to come home to my family. We lost our house 30 days after this. I didn't declare bankruptcy. So I was on the verge of bankruptcy, but I decided to liquidate my remaining assets or our remaining assets. My daughter was nine years old at the time. 
and I was going through a situation. I told her I can't send her to horseback riding lessons. It was like nominal. It was like literally $20 for a group session for a half hour once a week. But I didn't even have the cash for that. She ran out of the room. I thought she was running away from me. She ran out of the room to run to her bedroom, grabbed her piggy bank, and ran back to me as fast as those little legs could carry her. And she, she put the piggy bank on the table and says, Daddy, since you can't provide for us, I'll be the provider. And um, that, that's, that was the wake up of the century. Uh, of how, how decimating my arrogance and misunderstanding about finances was. So, yeah. Wow. That sucked. <laughs> yeah. But you came, you came back. Is that when the books started? When did yeah. you start writing the books? Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, it's funny is in the moment, it was the, the darkest period of my life. Uh, I went through depression. I started drinking. I'm, I really don't drink much at all, but I became a drinker then. And um, in retrospect is actually the, probably the most glorious moment in my life, meaning the most impactful and important. It wasn't like this amazing success I had, but what it was was this wake-up call of the century. And I realized, and I hopefully will forever, it was the most humbling moment in my life. So I realized that I am no better than anyone else. I'm no worse. I'm, I'm just another human being, just like we all are. Yeah. And it also did set me in the journey of learning. And I committed that I will learn every ounce I can about entrepreneurship and I will document it all for selfishly for my own understanding and growth and anyone that's willing to listen to what I can share I will document it to share with them and that's why I write books so that was this the seed of writing yeah. my books very cool yeah and you can kind of see the progression in your books right toilet paper entrepreneur was yeah it was edgy sophomore yeah. but but also you know that sold a hundred thousand plus copies and it was a a book that also, it's funny, some people are like, oh, you kind of talk about spirituality in there. And because I was kind of going through a little bit of a spiritual awareness that ooh, th there is something in my belief, something greater going on. Um, and that that the journey of life isn't about success. It's really about, did you matter? And in fact, I, I heard someone say recently, at the end of life, uh, the more important question isn't, was I successful? The more important question is, did I matter? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what it is. That's what it is, at least for me. And um, it was in that point when I started realizing I, I need to put out things there that matter. Nice. Very cool. So on the program, we talk about courage, right? Where do you find the courage to escape the nine to five to create your own success? Where do you find the courage to overcome the setbacks, divorce, yeah. failure, bankruptcy, illness, things like that? Where did you find that courage? Where did that come from? Ironically, fear, because I think fear can be an ally. So it's funny, as I was reflecting on this recently, I noticed that when I lack courage, because I'm afraid of making taking that risk, so to speak. But at the same time, when I flip fear on itself, I become more fearful of staying status quo. And then it seems courageous, but it's actually, I'm a fearful guy. I'm running away from the nine to five. Like I when I sold my second company, it was acquired by Robert Half International. They were the Fortune 500. They don't account temps, office temps and stuff. And they bought my company and oh, you're a corporate guy now. I actually remember my father at the time was like, congratulations, finally you have a real job. And working at 95 and there for a week, I was like, oh my gosh, this place is soul sucking. Like everyone was in their cubicle and and they, they were just these kind of diminutive versions of, of humanity. It was very weird. And I'm not picking on Robert Half. I, I think this is just the corporate culture, at least at the time. And uh, I became very fearful of 
the nine to five. Like I, I will never do that. So, or never return to that. So uh, I committed pretty early on, I'm going to start my next business. And I did. Um, so it wasn't courage to start companies. It was afraid of, of staying stuck in the status quo. And, and that's regularly why I do what's perceived to be risky. Yeah. No, very cool. Is there a type of courage you think that comes uh, easier for you? I, we talk about intellectual courage, moral courage, empathetic courage. Is oh, there a type of courage that is easy for you? Yeah. I, I, empathetic for sure. I, I, I think I regularly, you know, when I get even into a disagreement or, some situation that can be combative, you know, figuratively speaking, um, that I, I, I have this sense of empathy toward the other person, like, oh, where they're coming from. Um, you know, if someone gives thrift flips the bird to me on the highway or something like that, I just instantly feel, gosh, they must be having a bad day or something's wrong. Now, I still feel the emotion. I'm not like, oh, thanks, keep throwing the bird at me. I'll, I can feel it. But there's also this story that comes about, and that, that feels very natural to me. So maybe, maybe that's the natural, you know, courage. Nice. Um, so you introduced me to Ron Saharian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Ron, right on Profit First Professionals. Is that what That's it right. is? That's right. And uh, he was on the podcast last year, I think. He's a great guy. Um, High energy. Yeah. Oh, phenomenal. Yeah. Awesome guy. I was going to say, you know, I, uh, working with clients, they're always struggling with how to attract and hire and retain great employees. If Ron and Aaron that we work with is an oh, awesome. indication of, yeah, yeah, the type of employees you have, you've got this nailed down. How do you, is, do you, Go out looking for great people, or do they find you? Yeah, I, no, I'm actively looking. So Ron, Ron's my business partner. Just to be clear about that, and he is someone I've known since high school, and I've yes. observed from afar his career. And um, I remember when I started my first business, I approached him and said, "Hey, I'm starting a company in computer systems. Do you want to join in?" He's like, "Nah, it's probably not for me." I said, "Okay." I called him eight years later. Say, "Hey, I sold it to private equity." Uh, we did pretty well. I'm starting a new business in computer crime investigation. Are you interested? And there's a longer pause this time. He's like, no, nah, I'm okay in my career. I called him three years later. I said, I sold it to a Fortune 500. I said, I'm starting a new business. Before I can even finish the sentence, he's like, I'm in. I'm in. So, um, yeah, I approached him about Profit First Professionals and told him I'm starting it, but I need a, also a partner um, that that's going to help run it. That's not what I want to do anymore is run a business. I want to be a a spokesperson for a business and, and create vision and move toward it. And uh, yeah, it's been a great opportunity. So I, I saw him out for years. Aaron is someone that we actively sought out. Um, nice. It wasn't someone we knew in advance, but we were going through an interview process and we weren't looking for someone with, what was beautiful about Prop First Professionals specifically is you didn't need to have qualifications because no one had done this before. So we weren't looking for someone that could teach Prop First because it was new. Right. We were looking for someone with high energy and empathy, high empathy, and all those elements, and sure enough, uh, in walks in the door walks Aaron Moger, and we hired her, and uh, she's been nothing but a rock star. She's been with us literally since the first day we opened the doors. Excellent, that is cool. Yeah. So, how many people do you have working for you? Uh, me, me, we have two businesses I own, so I have twenty-two people between nice. our two companies. So, Profit First Professionals has uh, twelve, and my other business has ten. Very cool. If I was to bump into any one of those folks on the road and ask them what type of leader you are. Mm. What would they tell me? What kind of leader are you? I, I think they would say he's a cheerleader. <laughs> and uh, what I mean is I'm really enthusiastic about everyone's progress in their own lives, in their own business. And I like cheering them along. I think that's actually my biggest talent as a leader. So one example, and this is my favorite example, is that our 
author office where I write my books and we have 10 people there that are helping promote the books and so forth. We have a big tree. It's a, it's one that's on the wall. It's not a real tree, but it's one that's out of like paper mache basically, but the um, leaves are barren. There's no leaves on it, but every time someone achieves an individual goal in their life, I, I want to learn how to speak Spanish. I want to spend more time with parents, whatever it is, we have it all documented personal goals. We add a leaf and the leaf, the tree is now blooming massively. There's all these individual accomplishments. And uh, that was a creation of my, my own idea because I want to be a champion for everyone's personal goals. So I know when, when a leader of a business is a champion for our individual goals as individuals, they in turn will be a champion for the goal of the business, which is honestly the owner's goals, my own goals. And it surely has worked out that way. So cheerleader is how I define myself. That's awesome. Very cool. Um, Simon Meadows, you were on Simon's podcast a couple weeks ago. Simon is my business coach. Um, I'm in a mastermind group with him. So shout out to TJ and Dave and Carl. And That's Blair. awesome. Um, he asked you a question about where you get your inspiration and your ideas for your books and some of the programs you come up with. And you had a great story that you told him. Where oh, do you remember. get your inspiration? I, I can't remember that story specifically. So you may have to uh, recount me, but uh, one is... Oh, wait, I was about to say one is the sauna. Okay. Okay. So it's funny because I mentioned, you know, you said earlier, like, what do I get excited for? It's the sauna. Yeah. So I, I call it, sometimes I call it a think tank. Um, we have, I have a small little one in my home. It's suitable for two people. And it's like one of the traditional ones you pour the water over the hot, the rocks and steam comes up. It's not infrared. The, I get the temperature it's so hot that I lose that kind of constant churn of thought that's kind of bouncing around and if i just go in with one idea uh, and don't actively work on just so recently i said uh, you know i was trying to think of new ideas to promote books for example i went to the sauna for 45 minutes i, I go in and out, in and out all these ideas start springing up at the weird, weirdest times now the challenge is it's so hot in there i can't bring any digital devices and they won't work so i can't write down um a pen and paper isn't adequate because the sweat dripping off me will soak the paper. So then I have to use mnemonic techniques to memorize what I'm just thought of. And then when I get out, I quickly scroll it down. So yeah, the sauna is, is a, a good thinking spot for me. Very cool. So what's next for you? I mean, you've accomplished so many things. You got so many books. Do you have any new books? In there? Yeah, I do. I do. I have a, I've just finished the manuscript is in it's the working title. The title is called all in how great leaders build unstoppable teams it's been many years of research. I usually spend about five years, and this book took about five years. It's in with my publisher. The problem is with the supply chain, the book's not going to release till 2024. It's, mm. oh God, I, it's ready to go. Everything's done. It's just yeah. sitting. Um, and then I'm meeting with my co-writer. Her name's AJ Harper. We're meeting next uh, month. We're going on a retreat for three days. I have about 40 ideas for future books. Not that I'm going to do 40 books, but just all these random ideas. My goal in my lifetime is to produce 25 business books. And so surely in there is one of them. It may be on sales. It may be advanced techniques on profit first. Uh, it may be on customer service. I, I don't know. It may not be any of those three, but those are the three that I have the most momentum around. I've been interviewing my readers saying, what do you need next? And it's sales, customer service I'm hearing most often. Yeah. Customer service would be huge. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I think so. And you know, my goal is, is there... Whenever I write a book, I ask myself, what's the established approach for sales, for customer service, yet doesn't drive the results you want? So Profit First is a perfect example. 
everyone or most people take profit last. We're told it's the bottom line. Yeah, it doesn't work for most people. How do you fix that? So that's how I start off. What's the biggest problem? And uh, in my all-in book, which is about how it's about recruiting and retaining people, I, I found what the common recruiting tactics are and why they don't work and think I have mm -hmm. the perfect solution for that. So Excellent. that's my goal. Very cool. Yeah. Definitely looking forward to that. Mike, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks I'm for having your, me. Time's up. No, this is great. I'd love to have you back once your book is released. And so oh, that would be going. a total joy. I'll take you up on that. Perfect. So if people want to follow you, let's say there is one person in the world who doesn't know who Mike McCallowitz is, how can they find out about you? What's your website? So yeah, that one person is about 6.5 billion people. It's almost everybody. Whatever it was, the global population is 7 billion. Is the, something, the, yeah. Yeah. The website is Mike Motorbike, as in a motorcycle. And uh, I did that because no one can spell my last name, McCallow. Right. So MikeMotorbike.com. Uh, all my books are there. I used to write for the Wall Street Journal. All those articles are up there. You can see what I wrote about for small business. And I have my podcast, MikeMotorbike.com. Excellent. And I will have that link in the show notes for everybody so they can do that. So Mike, thanks again. It's been awesome. Thank you so Arlen, much. Thank you, brother. All right. And listeners, hope you're taking good notes. Check out Mike Motorbike, which I love the graphic on there. It's great. <laughs> when you get there, just, there's a little yeah, homage yeah. to motorcyclists. So, perfect. Uh, yeah. No, it's perfect. So yeah, share this episode with your family, friends, colleagues, and stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan, saying so long for now. 